Welcome to After Hours, conversations for music educators, presented by Amro Music. This is where we share ideas and work towards solutions to better serve your students. This week, Nick Averwater talks with Bob Morrison, CEO and founder of Quadrant Research, the nation's leading arts education research and market intelligence organization. In this episode, they'll be talking about the Arts Education Data Project, which provides a data-driven approach to understanding the state of arts education in the United States. You can learn more about it at artsedata.org. Our conversation is broken up into two episodes, and this is part one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to After Hours Conversations for Music Educators. I'm excited to welcome back to the show a repeat guest, Mr. Bob Morrison. Bob, it's good to see you. Hey, it's good to be with you, Nick. Always great to be back with you. Well, we really appreciate your time. Of course, you've been, you've joined us for one of the webinars, and um, today we're going to be doing a spotlight and really sitting down with you, getting to unpack a little bit about your history, what led you to where you are now, some of the projects you're working on. But before we dive into that, I'd love for our listeners just to get to know you, uh, Bob Morrison, the the musician. What brought you to where you are today? Well, you know, what brought me to where I am today was, you know, my passion for music, right? It was uh, as a student, I, I, you know, was a percussionist, a uh, drummer, um, wasn't sure really what I wanted to do, uh, you know, with my life as I was trying to figure out where I was going to go to college and what I was going to do. And after a couple of false starts in journalism, I ended up as a, uh, as a music ed major at uh, at a at a little uh, university right down the street from you there at what was then Memphis State now the University of Memphis uh, where I worked on my undergraduate degree in, in music education but you know I I ultimately never made it into the classroom because I got waylaid into um, teaching with with some nonprofit organizations and then very quickly found myself uh, consulting with and then working for the Pearl Drum Company. And uh, and when I joined Pearl uh, in the 1980s, um, they were just getting involved with the marching and concert percussion side of the business. So I helped worked with them, helped them develop that, got very involved with the industry. That then led me to an opportunity to work for NAM, the National Association for Music Merchants, uh, in their area of overseeing market development, as well as their efforts behind uh, the National Commission for Music Education and the National Coalition for Music Education. And really my experiences at Pearl and getting an understanding of what was happening to music programs, doing market research, that really put me on the trajectory uh, to to be a, a lifelong music and arts education advocate. And from NAM, while I was there, we worked in the development and starting of the Mr. Holland's Opus Foundation, Rooted from there to go to VH1 to help them start and then lead the VH1 Save the Music Foundation for several years. Uh, that led me to create my own organization, Music for All, which then merged with Bands of America. Uh, and then from there, I started Quadrant Research uh, to really focus on how to use data to inform uh, policies and to assist in our advocacy efforts uh, to strengthen our music and arts programs across the country. So. That's a quick through line of, you know, how I got from, you know, being being at Memphis State there on Poplar Avenue and now doing what I'm doing. So, 
That's fantastic. Bob, let me ask you this. What was it about music that had such an influential role on your life? Because you, you have committed your entire career, and you, you have sat on boards, you have led organizations, you have founded organizations, all with the goal of spreading music, advocating for music, and sharing the joys of music. What was it about music that was so influential on your life? Well, I, I think for me was I had a, um, a, a couple of music educators in my school years. When I was in elementary school, middle school, and high school, um, that really had a, a pretty big impact on me. Um, uh, you know, I wasn't particularly a great student, so I wasn't, you know, academically, you know, gifted in in the traditional sense. But you know, there was something, an allure to music, and I had, you know, somewhat of a talent for it, uh, raw as it was, that needed to be developed. But these educators saw that and encouraged that development. And, you know, they gave me an opportunity. Um, and on more than one occasion, you know, one of my music educators, either in high school or, you know, even Dr. McKay down at Memphis State um, had to save me from, you know, from being in trouble from, you know, I would just get in trouble sometimes and they would, you know, come in and, and pull me out of the fire and then put me push me in the right direction and uh, it's because of those educators, you know, the way that they were impact, they'd impacted me and the opportunities that they created for me. I was just like, how do, you know, that's why I wanted to be a, a, an educator is like, how I want to have that impact on somebody else. You know, and how can I do that for other students so that, you know, I can assist them in finding their pathway. And, and every step that I've taken has really been about how do I Create the opportunities for others to have the same opportunity that I have had. And that's really what it's been about. The only difference is the scale. It's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger as I've, I've expanded my work. So it was really all about that one, you know, one, two, three educators in, in my life uh, that, that, you know, saw something in me. And I know that music saved me and I know that it has the power to save others. So, yeah. It's amazing to think about. Um, I suspect when you look back and reflect, of course, right now, again, you've you've accomplished and done so much to move the ball forward for music education. But I suspect looking back, there were crossroads in your life where you could have gone left or you could have gone right. And right involved no music and left involved music. And how differently that would have been, just the influence of those educators and the compounding effect now that you have really across the nation and spreading music is really just hard to think about. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is amazing. Cause it, again, I came out of school and I went into journalism. I actually went to, you know, I was at Penn state university for about a minute and a half. And then at the university of Georgia and the Peabody school of journalism uh, until it became pretty clear to me that I was not going to be successful as a journalist because of the command back then for those that are, you know, younger than I am. This is back in the day of typewriters and, uh, you know, the, the white, white out tape that you had to do. And I was just not, I was just not a good physical writer. So, um, you know, I had to struggle my way through that, you know, kind of, I had to wander in the woods before coming back to music. And, um, you know, so, so you're right. You know, that was a point where I did go left and then it was like, Ooh, left wasn't the right way to go. I need to go right now. Um, And it's been that way ever since. And even even in this journey, 
And it's one of the things when I talk to college students, you know, it's not a straight line. You know, you're not going to say, you know, I want to be there, you know, in 10 years. Well, you're not going to get from here to there in 10 years in a straight line. You know, it's it's messy. It's you're you're going to have some successes and you're going to have failure uh, along the way. But the important thing is that you keep you you keep focused on moving forward, uh, and that you work your way toward that goal. So, wonderful advice. So let's talk a little bit about what you're working on at Quadrant Research because I think this is um, the first time I interacted with the um, the database that you all had created in the dashboard, I was just blown away because it's so powerful. But I think there's still a lot of people who you know, don't know what you guys are doing and just how uh, impactful the information is that's available at fingertips just with, the, with a Google search or just going through your map and looking at the accessibility of music in our communities and our schools. Can you just tell us a little bit about that project, how it came to be, and what type of questions you're trying to answer with this research? Sure. Well, the it, it came to be out of my own personal frustration when I was at Pearl. Um, and we were getting involved in the marching and concert percussion side of the business. And I was doing the market research on, in, you know, wanted to understand, um, you know, the, the answer to a simple question. And that question was, how many schools have music programs? Um, and in 1988, when I was asking that question, no one could tell me the answer. They couldn't tell me how many music programs there were. They couldn't tell me how many music teachers there were. And it, no matter who I went to, whether it was the national associations, whether it was the United States Department of Education, whether it was trade associations, nobody had a clue. And that really bothered me because as a businessman at the time, and you know this from your own work, you know, we measure our success and failures based on profit, loss, and market share, right? We look at those numbers. To, you know, that's our report card as to how we're doing. And I was just stunned that in, in the field of music education that we didn't have a way of knowing, hey, how are we doing? Are we, do we have more teachers involved or fewer? Do we have more programs or fewer? Do we have more kids involved or less? Yet there was a lot of noise, a lot of people saying that we were losing programs or gaining programs. And, you know, depending on where someone sits is going to influence their opinion. So if you're sitting in a district where you have robust everything, then you, sit, you think that that's the way that it is everywhere. And if you're in a school where you don't have anything, then your point of view is, well, that's the way it is everywhere. And so you just had some, some really wide... Uh, variations of what people thought was happening in the area of music and arts education. So that's where it started for me. Um, but it wasn't until I was at Save the Music where I was in a position to actually require data gathering. So we started to require school districts that we were going to make grants to with our instrument donations. They had to do an assessment. They had to provide us with a report card on what is the status of music education programs in every single one of your schools so that we can understand how the grant that we're going to make to you will augment what's already there. How do we strengthen it and how do we uh, you know, put in place a strategy so that after we're done with our investments that we have restored you know, the entire ecosystem there in support of, of music education programs. That really began to, to help me understand uh, the power of data to influence information. So when I created Music for All, one of the things that I committed to was we wanted to make data a really important part of our work. Uh, and the first report that we did was uh, called The Sound of Silence for 
the Department of Education in California. It was back in 2004. And we analyzed uh, the state data for uh, music participation. And we found that over a five-year period that there had been a decline in music education programs, a 50% decline in student enrollment in, in music programs, which was, you know, which was incredible. Uh, and armed with that information, we released our report. Uh, the report got the attention of the governor and other people in California. And the next thing we know, the governor puts forward a bill uh, to put a billion dollars into restoring music and arts education programs. And this is all driven by a report that cost us a few thousand dollars to create that became a catalyst to put more than a billion dollars back into music and arts education. So pretty good return on investment. But yeah. with that with that result, it's like, okay, we're on to something. We are on to something here. Um, we then uh, you know, began doing uh, statewide data work. Our first state where we did a statewide census was here in the state of New Jersey. And we found when we released that report, um, that the issues that we had identified, that everyone started to work toward addressing them. Uh, so whether it was about curriculum or whether it was about grade weighting or whether it was about um, you know, program opportunities, uh, by making the data visible, people began to take action with it. Um, but the challenge that we found that it wasn't, is, was that it really wasn't scalable. And so what we ended up doing was working toward creating what is now the, the National Arts Education Data Project. And what the data project is built on is we use data that the individual state departments of education across the nation are gathering on an annual basis anyway. So we're not gathering the data. The states are gathering the data. We're going to the states, asking for the data, and then we're putting it into a format that we can push out that makes it interactive and easy for um, parents and other advocates to use to get an understanding of what is the status and condition of music education or arts education in my community? Um, and that's the goal. The goal is to quantify what is the status and condition of music and arts education so that we can understand where are there pockets of strength and what can we learn from those areas and where may, may there be communities that need additional help and support. So we started we, we launched our first state on this platform in 2016, which was the state of California. Uh, and six that, since then, we've expanded to we're now oper we're, we're now working with 30 states across the country, um, and our goal is to get to 40 states by the end of next year. So um, it, it's now become a a robust model in which uh, anyone can go to the the arts ed data website and go find their state and then look at. Uh, the data that, that that is there to determine the status and condition of programs uh, in their particular community. And and for those that are listening in, in the state of Tennessee or even the state of Arkansas, both are on the system. Uh, the state of Tennessee lives at the Department of Education website. You can just go to the Tennessee Department of Education uh, and find the Arts Education Data Project for the state of Tennessee uh, right there. But it's it was all about answering the question, how many schools have music programs? It's it's an incredible tool, and for people that that maybe have not interacted with the the dashboard before, what are some of the pieces of information that are accessible uh, on the website? 
And, and really, what are some of the problems that you are seeing being addressed using this data and how granular can you get with it? So the data really is organized around um, the idea of um, students, courses, teachers, and schools. Um, and, and that's it. So basically, we are gathering course enrollment data at the school building level that includes the teacher assignment, uh, as well as the grade level of the students involved. Um, so as granular as you can get is you can go in and see um, how many um, how many students are enrolled uh, in band in ninth grade at Overton High School? Um, how many students are enrolled in dance in 12th grade in Overton High School? Um, and, uh, and you can then roll it up to, well, how many students are in band in Shelby County? Um, how many students are in the arts in Shelby County? You can roll it all the way up to the states. So you can aggregate it and disaggregate it to see you know, who's involved in, in what arts disciplines. You can see what courses they're enrolled in. Um, and you can also begin to look at it to see, you know, what are the attributes of the schools and what does participation look like in a school that is majority African-American versus a school that's majority Hispanic versus a school that's majority white? Or what does it look like for a school that is high free and reduced lunch in comparison to a school that is low free and reduced lunch as it relates to you know, arts participation. So it really begins to allow us to unpack the information and to begin to address any inequities that may appear uh, as a result. Now, when you're looking at it from a map standpoint, one of the things that I like to do as an example, particularly down in Tennessee, is, you know, to go to the discipline dashboard and just click on dance to see where is dance offered in the state of Tennessee? You know, in what communities is, are there programs there? And in what, what courses are they uh, participating in? So it allows you to get very granular down to your school building level, down to the course level, down to the grade level and what's happening, and then all the way back up to a state over. Yeah. Again, just an incredible tool. And, and for any educators that might find themselves either uh, wearing the advocacy hat or needing to have a conversation with school board, with administrators, with leaders, there's just an incredible amount of data that's available within those 30 states that have submitted um, the information to um, to this database. It's just fantastic. So, so Bob, before we transition, where can sure. people find this information and play around with it? Uh, the information is at artseddata.org, artseddata.org. Um, and there's a map on there, and you can click on the map to see what's happening, um, you know, what's the status of your state's participation. And if the state is participating, it'll have a link there that will take you right to the location of where their dashboards are housed. Fantastic. Well, I would just encourage, I mean, every arts advocate out there, I think, needs to spend time on this just to know that it's available so that when people ask the questions, you don't necessarily know all of the answers, but you know where to find them. And this is such a powerful tool in the advocacy toolbox to advance music education. So, Yeah, and I think there's, there's one thing that's important about this, and one of the things that we have certainly uncovered um, a lot of people have said, oh, you know, arts education is on rapid decline. It barely exists in our schools or our music programs are disappearing. Uh, and, and the reality is that's not true. Um, the vast majority of our schools have music in their school. Uh, the vast majority of schools in the United States have visual art programs uh, in, in their school. Uh, and, and the reason why this is important to understand 
is because if if the perception is out there that it's that it is being reduced, that it is being cut because that's just the way it is, then it's almost like giving people permission to cut programs. Well, that's the way it is. Everyone's doing it, so that's okay. Mm, uh, as opposed absolutely. to saying, you know what? The vast majority of our schools have these programs. So why is it that these few schools don't? Why is it that we're denying these students the opportunities that the vast majority of our students in this country have access to? You know, it's a completely different argument where you're arguing from a position of strength versus a position of weakness. Uh, and that's where I think that it's important to understand how the data can be used in, in a very powerful way. And I will end this part by quoting from uh, my good friend, the late Sir Ken Robinson, who told me uh, often that without data, you're just another person with an opinion. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a great way. And And gosh, the way you have framed that is so right in that, you know, we need to be approaching this with the mentality that, hey, music is the expectation and not the exception. And I the love abundance the you... mentality, the abundance yeah. mentality, right? Yeah. So, and, and again, that data is there and, and um, just a powerful tool. And, and that's such a great mindset we need to approach. Hey, music programs need to be abundant. They are abundant, but we need to look for opportunities where they're not and go forward from there. That's Bob Morrison, founder and CEO of Quadrant Research, talking with Nick Averwater. This conversation will continue in the next episode of After Hours, Conversations for Music Educators, which is presented by Amro Music. This podcast is produced by Nick Averwater, Emily McGee, and Joel Hurd in Memphis, Tennessee. You can hear more conversations at amromusic.com slash afterhours. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, here are two easy and fast ways you can support the After Hours show. First, your five-star review means a lot as it helps to boost us in the podcast rankings so that other music educators just like you can find us. Second, if you thought of someone that would enjoy this week's content and episode, hey, please share it with them so that they too can be a part of the After Hours community. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.